0: All right. Well, good morning. good morning. Am I on? Okay. Hear me. Good. So I'm, I'm always using, I'm always doing announcements, so I'm used to having the handheld mic. Not used to having the fancy earpiece, so it's a little different. But I'm, I do kind of like it. It's a lot easier. I can use my hands more. So, um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one or need one, uh, if you go ahead and raise your hand, we have people in the back who would love to get you one. Um, and if you don't have a personal Bible that you use or have and, and you would like one, if they bring you one, that's just go ahead and keep that. Uh, we would love to be able to put that in your hands. Uh, so, so while you're turning there, <laughs> it was funny when Pastor Rex was doing announcements. Um, my sister, Maren, uh, if you know her, So Rex is doing the announcements, and he's talking, and she just looks over at me, and she goes, he's a lot more creative than you. So (laughs) It's funny if you know her, just her sense of humor. She's uh, pretty dry, sense of humor, sarcastic. Uh, So that was funny when she said that. So I guess I have to step up my announcement game uh, from now on. (laughs) All right, so... If you've been with us the past month or month and a half, hopefully you know or you should know that we've been preaching on and talking about uh, the core values of our church. If you haven't been here, that's what we've been doing. If you have, hopefully you know and remember that. Uh, So we've talked about such things as uh, loving God, loving others, right? That's right up here on stage. Talked about salvation, how we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works so that no one may boast. I talked about evangelism, how we're burdened then to share the gospel that we might see others uh, be saved and pass from death to life. Then last week, Rex talked about um, worship and how that is our response to the immeasurable grace that we've been shown. And by the way, I think he did an absolutely masterful job talking about that last week. I can tell you that that was awesome. And I was definitely challenged by that message last week. So Ben kind of hinted at it. Uh, but I've been given the task of preaching on discipleship, uh, and more specifically, prayer and uh, Bible reading. All right, so for the next, you know, 30, 40 minutes, whatever, however, however long I go, we will be talking about prayer and uh, Bible reading. Now, <laughs> be honest with yourselves. When I say that, there's like a little part of you that gets a little nervous and feels a little guilty, all right? Like just a little part of you. Maybe not much. Maybe you're sitting there like shaking your head. That's not me. But I think for most of us, that's the case. Because if we're in here and we're Christians, like, we all know that we should read the Bible and pray. Am I right? Like, we all know that. That's just common sense. Even if you're in here and you're not a Christian, and you ask that person, you know, what, what do Christians do? One of the things they would say is, well, they pray and read the Bible and go to church. Right? That's, just, that's just what we do. So we all know that we should do it. And we all feel a little guilty, because if we're being honest, we don't do it— quite as much as we think we should or feel like we should be doing it. Now the truth is, I do think we should read and pray, or should read our Bibles and pray more. So that is one of my motivations to hopefully get us to spend more time doing that and devote more time doing that. But the last thing I wanna do is to just guilt us into doing that more. I don't want to take us on a guilt trip just to get you to pray and read your Bible more. Because, first and foremost, if we are in Christ, there's no condemnation. And so... You know, God didn't save us through faith in Christ, and now that we're not reading our Bibles and praying as much as we think we should, or we think God thinks we should, he's not going to cast us out now. You know, like, I regret saving you. I thought you were going to read your Bible and pray a lot more, but forget it now. That's not how it goes, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second thing is if we're just reading the Bible and praying out of guilt and just to try—in an attempt to rid us of that guilt— it's not gonna work. Like, it's not going to be a transformative activity. It's just gonna be an empty religious ritual and exercise. Okay, so if you're in here, and I think we all do this at certain points in time, and you just, sometimes you just read the Bible and pray just to kind of get that guilt off your chest, I wanna tell you and urge you, like, that's the wrong motivation. I don't want us to feel that guilt here today. But I do hope to motivate us to read the Bible more and pray more. uh, Individually, personally, in our own free time, and also corporately as a church. So with that being said, before we go to the text, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us here today uh, by your grace. We thank you for saving us by your grace, Lord. We know that Uh, No amount of works we could do, no amount of Bible reading, no amount of praying, uh, no amount of church attendance, no amount of tithing we do could save us. We know that it is strictly by your grace that we stand here today and that we stand before you uh, with great confidence. And so Lord, we rest not in our own abilities, not in our own powers uh, when we're here, when we sing, when we pray, when we read scripture, Uh, but we rest in your power alone through Christ. And Lord, I pray for this audience here today. I pray for all of us that Your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives and in our hearts, changing us, transforming us, increasing our satisfaction in Christ, and conforming us to His image. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. So Colossians chapter one. All right, this is this is Paul writing. Paul wrote Colossians to the church in Colossae. Okay, and he's writing to believers, right? Since they're the church, he's writing to believers. Not necessarily unbelievers. There might be some unbelievers mixed in as well. Uh, But turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, I believe. Yeah, 26. And so here, I'm going to talk about prayer and Bible reading, but it's going to be kind of a roundabout deal here today, okay? So I'm going to spend a lot of the time not talking about prayer and Bible reading, and then at the end, we'll get to prayer and Bible reading. Alright, I want to lay this foundation first and talk about why we should do it and why it's so important and what the purpose of it is. Alright, that makes sense? Okay. So Colossians chapter one, starting in verse twenty six, says this the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so you catch what Paul is saying? right, he says, uh, verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages. So there's something, it's been hidden for ages, like no one knew about it or could understand it for a long time, for ages. But now, he says, it has been revealed to his saints. So the saints— that's us. Okay, the saints are all believers in Christ, past, present, and future. So if we're in Christ here today, we are the saints. And God has revealed the mystery to us. So what is this mystery? Verse 27. The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right, so the mystery was Christ. We talk about Old Testament times. That was, re- that was not revealed to them in all its fullness. Now it has been revealed to us. So we, as the saints, the believers in Christ, we've seen the glory. We know the glory of Christ. It's been revealed to us. Going on to verse 28. Paul says, him we proclaim. That is Christ. So Christ is the mystery, right? That's the thing that's been revealed to us. He says, we proclaim Christ warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love those two verses because do you see Paul's kind of his vision for the saints? Right? So often when we think of Paul, we just think of him as an evangelist. Right? He has this burden for sharing Christ with the lost, and he goes around planting churches, sharing uh, the gospel without shame, that people might believe and be saved. And he is that. Okay, I don't want to take away from Paul in that sense in any way, because he is passionate about sharing the gospel and doing evangelism, and we should be as well. But I would argue that maybe just as much as evangelism, Paul is passionate about seeing believers in Christ grow to full maturity in Christ. I mean, you read through the New Testament, I can show you passage after passage where Paul says something like this. He writes a number of these letters to the church, to believers, people who are already followers of Christ. And that's most of us in here today, right? We've we've believed, we've been Christians our whole lives. Okay, like we've been there. So, what's Paul's vision for us? That we grow to full maturity in Christ, like he says in this verse. All right, so, Paul's passion for the churches then, and I would even argue now, is that we grow to full maturity in Christ. And I love what he says here. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Like do, you, like, do you feel the weight of those words there? Like, for this, I toil. Like, I'm picturing Paul, like, on his knees, clenching his fists, like, oh, like, that they would just get it. Like, that they would just grow to full maturity. Like, I'm just struggling for this. I want them so badly to get it. Right, and again, I think he would feel that same thing for us here today. And I think the leadership in this church, we feel the same burden for this church as well. Right? Like, we toil, we struggle for this church that we would grow to full maturity in Christ. And we want that so badly for this church and for everyone who's a part of this church. The question is, how do we do that and what does that look like? Here comes the discipleship part that Ben and Rex had mentioned previously. So how do we grow to maturity in Christ? How does that actually happen? What does that look like? If we look back in Colossians chapter 1, I don't want to say Paul presents a formula for Christian growth because there's not a formula for it. Like, you can't just plug in X, Y, and Z into an equation and then just have, uh, you know, Christian growth pop out on the other end. Like, that's not how it works. But so many of us treat us like that. Like, we just do the right amount of Bible reading, the right amount of prayer, the right amount of church attendance, the right amount of tithing, and and whatever else we might do, and we think automatically I'm going to come out at the other end, mature in Christ. And I don't think that's the case. So then, what do we do? How do we grow in Christ? What does that look like? I think we do those things, and we should do those things. Those things are good. But if we do them without this thing that I'm about to talk about, and missing this, then they're going to be fruitless activities. And the reality is that many of us in here have been Christians for a long time. We've read, the, we've read the Bible a lot. We wake up every morning, have a little devotion, quiet time, uh, go to church every Sunday, give my tithe, whatever that might be, you know, say a little prayer every now and then, whatever. And we do those things, but we miss this, and therefore we're not being transformed. We're not really growing in Christ. We're just being conformed to a pattern of religion. Right, so what is it that we're missing? What is it that's kind of the, uh, the underlying factor in all of those things? And, and it's so simple, yet so key. And in Colossians 1, Paul talks about it. Quite simply, it's the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm fixating on that. So go back a little bit in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And I love Colossians because Colossians is so Christ-centered. And his whole thing throughout the whole letter is the supremacy of Christ. And he wants the Colossians to see that. And he wants us to see that here today. And I'm just hoping and praying that we see the supremacy of Christ in here today. So verse 15, let's just look at all these things that Paul says uh, about Christ. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's like, like the face, the physical face of God himself. He is fully God himself. Right? In him, all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1.3 would say that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Right? So God's glory in all its fullness, all its majesty, all its power, finds its, its face, its place, in Jesus. Right? All God's glory, all its fullness is in Jesus. Jesus is fully God. Right? Not just a good man, not just a good moral teacher, not, uh, the, fir- not, not the, the highest of all created beings. He is God himself. That's what Paul says first. Second thing, go to verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So often when we read Genesis 1 and 2 and we think of creation and God just simply speaking the universe into existence, we don't think of Jesus being at the center of that creative activity. All right, when the reality is, you read John 1, uh, this verse here, and even in Hebrews 1, we know that that's Jesus who is doing that. Jesus, being fully God, spoke the universe into existence. So the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ himself, just speaks the universe into existence. All things, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, visible or invisible, were created by him. Not only that, move on in verse 16. I love how he ends it. So all things were created through him and for him. So simply put, Jesus created all things for Jesus. Right? All things are created for Jesus by Jesus. And so what that means is that Jesus spoke everything into existence, all of us, me and you here today, into being for the display of his glory. Right, And that we would make the greatness of his name known. Right? And if, if that makes you uncomfortable and if you think that's self-centered, I can just tell you it's not. Because if Jesus created us for anyone else's glory, then he would cease to be the highest, most glorious, right, being. Does that make sense? right, so that's not self-centered of Jesus to create all things for his own glory. right, because he he is the highest, the utmost. He deserves all glory. He's due all glory and honor and praise. right, so Jesus creates all things for his glory, right, and speaks them into existence for his glory. Not only does he create all things for his glory. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus creates the universe for his glory, and then he sustains it by the word of his power. Hebrews 1 3 says that as well. So he literally upholds the universe by the word of his power. Like now that he creates it by his word, then he sustains it by his word. So Christ is sovereignly, powerfully upholding this universe in which we live. Right? I mean, let that sink in. I can't, I, I can't do that. Like, I don't uphold the universe. I don't know about you guys, but... I mean, I substitute teach. Sometimes I have trouble just sustaining a classroom and upholding the order of that. <laughs> let alone the entire universe by just the word of power, you know, coming from my mouth. Right, but this is the glory of Jesus that Paul wants us to see. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but just a couple more verses I'll throw out uh, that I think are worth um, looking at is Revelation 21:23. This is at the end of all time. The new heavens and new earth are created. Uh, Jesus has already come back, um, reconciled out all things to himself for his glory. And then chapter 21, verse 23, is talking about the new Jerusalem. And I love what it says. And the city, that is the New Jerusalem, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. So this New Jerusalem, the final city, the eternal state, we'll be there someday, hopefully. I'll see you all there. Uh, Has no need of sun or moon. Now why is that? For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. All right, so, so Jesus, there's no need for sun or moon because Jesus, the, the radiance of his glory just gives light and life to all things for all eternity. This is the glory of Jesus, our Savior. All right, and Paul wants us to see this. The entire Bible wants us to see this. Every author, every book, every verse, every word wants us to see the glory of Jesus. So now, what does that have to do with Christian growth? So how does that have to do with me growing to maturity in Christ? And I think Paul answers that question in Colossians as well. So if you turn to Revelation, flip back to Colossians now. Stutter there a little bit. It's kind of weird. I don't normally do that. (laughs) But Colossians chapter 3, I think Paul answers this question then. Uh, so how do we grow in Christ? He talks about the glory of Christ, and then I think uh, chapter 3, he answers it. All right, so actually, I'm going to start before chapter 3. I'm going to start in, at the end of chapter 2, uh, in verse 20. Uh, chapter 2, verse 20 says, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Like I said earlier, so often we think of Christian growth uh, according to the rules we submit to, and to the, the man-made uh, wisdom and precepts and teachings that we submit to. Right? Like we try to do religious activities and do religious things uh, j- to try to uh, grow to maturity in Christ. But like I said earlier, and Paul says right here, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. So these look really good. So if we do these religious activities, like I just read my Bible and pray all the time, I go to church every Sunday and I give a whole bunch of money to the offering every single Sunday, like this looks good and people will probably think that you are awesome and that we are just extremely holy and just the best Christians in the world if we do these things. Because right? that, that's how we think. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. In asceticism. So again, they look good. They look really good. However, I love what Paul says at the end of it. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So as good as those things look, those religious rituals and deeds, whatever they might be, as good as those look, they have no value in actually conforming us to the image of Christ which is our end goal, by the way, to resemble Christ in all his glory. So we can do those things, but if we don't do them properly and correctly with the right uh, foundation, as good as they look, they're not going to conform us to the image of Christ. And they're not going to stop the indulgences of the flesh either. So, quick side note here, if we're struggling with sin, uh, the because the formula for victory isn't necessary to just try really hard and make all these rules for yourself to not sin, right? Because in the end, those have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So now we're left wondering, what then do we do, right? What then is left? If I can't make my own rules and uh, do these own things to try to grow in Christ, then what? And Paul answers it. In Colossians chapter 3. And I love what he says. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So if we're believers in Christ, we have been raised with Christ. Right? We've, been, we've died with him, been buried with him, and now been raised with him by faith. United to him in his resurrection by faith. So Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. If that's you, and that is us here today, if we're believers, we have been raised with Christ. If that is us, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory." So how do we grow in Christ? Remember, Colossians chapter 1, Paul said he, he fixates on the glory of Jesus, right? his infinite power and glory. And then he says at the start of chapter 3, set your mind on Christ above. And this is how we grow in Christ. By constantly, persistently, consistently fixating on the glory of Jesus. Setting our minds on him. I mean, like Paul says here, the reality is we have died with Christ. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. That is where our true life is. Eternity, right? With Christ seated at the right hand of God. And so what do we do? We set our minds there as we await for him to return in all his glory. Right, because again, the end goal is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Right? That we know his supremacy, and we be satisfied in him and in his glory and supremacy, and that we be conformed to his image. That's our end goal. Right? Not to be conformed to a pattern of religion and just morality, but to be conformed to Christ. And so we grow in Christ by fixating on his glory, setting our mind on him constantly. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Um, Paul says, uh, and beholding the glory of the Lord, so beholding his glory, the glory of Jesus, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Right, until he appears, then we will appear with him in glory. So as we behold the glory of Jesus, constantly setting our mind and fixing our eyes on him and his glory at the right hand of God, it is then that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We are gradually conformed to the image of Christ. We begin to resemble him in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, in our thoughts. And so finally, he returns, and at that time, we will be transformed completely And perfectly, and finally, will be and will resemble him in glorified bodies. That's our end goal. That's what Paul toils and struggles for. And that's what we struggle for and toil for here at this church. That ultimately, all of us at the end would be conformed to the image of Christ perfectly by setting our mind on him and his glory at all times. So I told you earlier I was going to kind of talk about some other things and then come back to prayer and Bible reading. All right now we're coming back to prayer and Bible reading. So that was the foundation I wanted to lay and that was kind of the the why behind the the should when it comes to prayer and Bible reading. So I said earlier, right? We see we just said and established that If we just read and pray the Bible just to promote uh, self-made religion and things like that, they're not going to be transformative activities if we do them out of guilt. That's not going to change us. If we do them, however, with our minds set on Christ, they will be transformative. And so I do want us here today, all of us, every single one of us, to read and pray, read our Bibles and pray more. Right? With our eyes and our minds set on Christ and his Glory. Right? That is our end goal. The end of all means is Christ, knowing Him in His glory and being conformed to that. And prayer and Bible reading are two of the primary means to that end. Right? Does that make sense? Is that, did I just confuse you a little bit? Right? So, knowing Christ and being conformed to His image, that's the end of all means. That's why we, are, we were created, that's why we exist, that's the end goal. All, we do all things to achieve that end. And prayer and Bible reading are two of the primary means of setting our minds on the glory of Christ. So what does that, what does that look like, like practically in our Bible reading when you do it every day? Getting up, doing a devotion before we go to bed, whatever it might be, whatever our Bible study habits look like. How do we read our Bibles to set our minds on Christ and his glory? Right? How do we do that? Here's the thing, what we do so often, though. When we try to read the Bible, we, we try to read ourselves into the stories. Like we read a story, and then we, we try to identify with the certain characters. The example I always hear is David and Goliath. Okay, so we read David and Goliath, and we read ourselves into David's position. All right, so David, you know, gets his five stones, he slays the giant, and we read ourselves into that, and we're like, all right, so it's so like, I'm David, whatever, whatever struggle, whatever obstacle I'm facing in my life, that's Goliath. So I need to find my five stones, I need to get them, and I'm, I'm ready to slay Goliath, right, and, and conquer this obstacle in my life. And that's how many of us read the Bible. Okay, and there are times when we can read ourselves into certain situations and identify with certain characters and their circumstances, but that's not the best way to read the Bible. All right, because here's the thing. The Bible is not about you, and it's not about me. The Bible is not about us here today. The Bible is not about us and what we can do to get ourselves back to God or to do whatever we can to overcome circumstances in our lives. The Bible, ultimately, is about Jesus, from beginning to end. And what God is doing and has done and will do through Jesus Christ to reconcile to himself all things for his glory. That's what the Bible's about. Jesus, his glory, and his work on this earth and then for all eternity. So I want to encourage us, when we read the Bible, to not so much as read ourselves into these situations, like David and Goliath, whatever it might be, but to constantly look for and seek Christ in his glory. Because right, the reality is, the entire Bible is about Jesus, beginning to end, like I said. Uh, after Jesus rises again in Luke 24, right, he's on the road to Emmaus with his disciples— and he tells them, interprets to them, all the things from the law, the prophets, and the psalms about himself. Basically what he says, he's walking with his disciples after he's resurrected. They don't even recognize him yet. But they, they don't quite understand, like, the whole he had to die and rise again, all those things. And he basically tells them, like, you didn't understand that because you didn't understand that the entire Bible pointed to me. The entire Old Testament pointed to Christ and his glory and his coming. All right, Tim Keller. Uh, I, said it this way, and I think it's great. You should check this out. Look this up online. Um, I'm just going to read this here because it's a great quote. He said, Do you believe the Bible is basically about you or basically about him? Is David and Goliath basically about you and how you can be like David or basically about him, the one who took on the only giants that can really kill us? And so his victory is is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passes a test in the garden, whose obedience is imputed to us. He's the real Passover lamb. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. Right, his point is all these things in the Old Testament point to Jesus. Now we have the privilege of being on the other side of the cross. Now we can look back and read the Old Testament and see those things. But ultimately, they're not talking about us. They're not uh, just, um, you know, catchy, good, and encouraging, inspiring stories. They're pointing to Jesus. All right, so I want to encourage us to read the Bible through that lens. that right, Fixating on his glory and not ours. Now, what what does this have to do with prayer? Because we haven't talked about prayer much at all to this point. I think Bible reading, I don't want to put it above prayer, but when we read the Bible through that lens, when we fixate on the glory of Jesus, when we realize who he is right in all his glory and who we are, once we do that, a helpless and humble heart of prayer is naturally going to follow. All right, so prayer our prayer must be informed by Scripture. Right and what it reveals about Jesus right, and his life, death, and resurrection. I hope I didn't confuse you guys. I feel like I just walked you through a lot of stuff, right? (laughs) Let me me try to read, just kind of sum things up and kind of rehash everything here. All right, I want us to pray and read the Bible more. I do. I think those are two key ways we grow as Christians. However, if we do them just reading ourselves into the stories and just doing it as a means of self-made religion and not as a means of setting our minds on Christ and his glory, they will not transform us. And so I would encourage us as we leave here, right, do read your Bible. Make time for it. So so often we say, like, I don't read my Bible because I don't have time. Like, I don't pray, I don't read the Bible more because I don't have time. Like, I'm so busy. And we are busy. I know we are. But we don't make time, though. You know what I mean? Like, you have time. You just watched four hours of basketball, but you don't have time to pray and read the Bible. All right, so I want us to make time. And here's the thing. If we understand that this book is not about us, And just for, you know, some encouragement, catchy one-liners to get us through the day or whatever it might be. And we understand that this is pointing us to Christ and his glory. And we look at this as a means of setting our minds on Christ and his glory. I think we'll make time. Right? Because if Jesus is who the scriptures say he is, right? Created all things, sustains all things, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God. Right, if he's true if his glory is truly going to replace the sun, if he is that glorious, I think, I think it's worth making some time to read Scripture, right, and set our minds on him. Right, so that's what I want us to get. I don't want it to be a guilt. It's like, oh, like I, should, I should read my Bible and pray more. I want it to be like, no, like I want to set my mind on Christ because that is where my life is. So I'm going to read my Bible and pray because I know that this scripture in in its entirety points to him and he's revealed in it. So when I wake up in the morning or when we wake up in the morning, right, and we go to this, it's not to just get it out of the way. I've done my thing for the day. I read my Bible, like I'm good for the day. Got my little inspiration and encouragement. Like, no, like we wake up in the morning and the thing we set our minds on Christ. I can't say that enough. What Paul says in Colossians uh, 3 there. All right? And I think if that is our attitude and that those are our thoughts toward Bible reading and prayer, I think we'll do it more. And I've experienced that myself. Because listen, I've done, I've done both. And I'm still guilty of sometimes doing both. Of waking up in the morning going, all right, let's just get this out of the way. All right, read three verses. I'm good to go. All right, and then other times when I deliberately and intentionally do this to set my mind on Christ above, then, I, then I, I'm transformed. Then that changes me. And it's a joy, and it's a satisfying experience. Same thing with praying. We do that with our minds set on Christ and his glory, that he would show us more of his glory, that we would be more and more satisfied in him, that we would know his supremacy. All of a sudden, it's not just us talking. All of a sudden, we realize we're in the presence of Jesus and all his glory, right, talking to him. So in closing, my prayer for us is like Paul said, that we would grow to maturity in Christ. Right, not by our own um, religious, self-made works. Not to, not, that we would not be conformed to a pattern of religion, but that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. By setting our minds constantly on him and beholding his glory. That we might be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And finally, day he comes and we resemble him. All right, that's what I want for this church. That's what I want for every single person in here. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you now, knowing that we have nothing to bring on our own. We have no merit um, before you, no works uh, that render us righteous before you. So God, we trust in Christ alone as we come before you. And God, we seek to grow to maturity in Christ, and I pray that for every single one of us in here, that we would not just be stagnant in our faith, in our walk with Christ, but that we would gradually be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. God we know that we can't do this on our own. So I pray, Lord, that we would uh, constantly set our minds and fix our eyes on Christ above in all His glory, knowing that it is you who will transform us as we do those things. God, I pray for us that moving forward that you would meet us as we read the Bible. God that it would not be a boring activity, and that it would not be dry, um, but that we would see and that you would reveal to us the glory of your Son in every page of this book. Lord, as we speak back to you in prayer, again, Lord, change us. May we behold the glory of Jesus, and as you do that, may you transform us by your power. God, I thank you for bringing us here pray for us throughout this week that our minds would be set on Christ at all times in everything we do. And Jesus, that you would show yourself to be satisfying in our lives, that we'd find our joy in you, and that all things would be shown to be uh, far less, and that you would be shown to be far greater in our lives, Lord. I thank you, and I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.